Welcome to New Thought Academy, a podcast centered on the exploration, discussion, and application of new thought and truth principles. Today's episode will feature a live recording from Dr. Joseph Murphy, a world-renowned new thought lecturer, psychologist, divine science minister, and author of over 30 books, including The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. Imagination is the workshop of God, so said the ancient Hebrew mystics. God imagined himself to be man. God became that which he imagined himself to be. Imagination is portrayed in the Bible under the name of Joseph, for Joseph means imagination. Now, we're talking about discipline, control, directed imagination. To image is to conceive something, is to impress it in your subconscious mind. And whatever is impressed in the subconscious is expressed in the screen of space as form, function, experience, and event. So Joseph in the Bible means discipline or controlled imagination. It is one of the primal faculties of man, has the power to project and close your ideas, giving them visibility on the screen of space. We're told Israel loved Joseph. Israel is a spiritually awakened man who knows the power of controlled imagination. Israel in the Bible means a man who knows the sovereignty of the living spirit within, who recognized the I am within him as the Lord God Almighty and use it in his life. And he refuses to give power to any created thing on the face of the earth. That's called Israel in the Bible. It is called the son of his old age. Son means expression. Old age infers wisdom and knowledge of the laws of mind. When you become familiar with the power of imagination, you will call it the son of your old age. For age is not the flight of years, it's the dawn of wisdom. Imagination is the mighty instrument used by scientists, artists, physicists, inventors, architects, and mystics. When the world said it is impossible, it can't be done, the man with imagination said it is done. Through your imagination, you can penetrate the depths of reality and reveal the secrets of nature. A great industrialist told me one time how he started in a small store. He said that I used to dream, Joseph was a dreamer, of a large corporation with branches all over the country. He added that regularly and systematically he pictured in his mind the giant buildings, offices, factories, and stores, knowing that through the alchemy of the mind he could weave the fabric out of which his dreams would be clothed. He prospered and began to attract to himself by universal law of attraction the ideas, personnel, friends, money, and everything needed for the unfoldment of his ideal. Just like a seed that dies in the ground, bequeaths its energy to another form of itself. By subjective wisdom, it extracts from the soil everything needed for its unfoldment. When it comes above the ground, by a process of photosynthesis, it extracts from the atmosphere and the radiation of the sun, all things necessary for its unfoldment. So this man truly exercised and cultivated his imagination and lived with these mental patterns in his mind, until imagination clothed them in form. I like particularly one comment which he made. It is just as easy to imagine yourself yourself successful as it is to imagine failure and is far more interesting. Joseph is the dreamer and a dreamer of dreams, the Bible says. This means he has visions, images, and ideals in his mind and knows that there is a creative power which responds to his mental pictures. The mental images we hold are developed in feeling. It is wisely said that all our senses are modifications of the one-sense feeling. Judge Stroud, who wrote the inimitable textbooks on the laws of mind, said, Feeling is the law, and the law is the feeling. Feeling is the foundation head of power. We must charge our mental pictures with feeling in order to get results. We're told that Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brethren. They hated him. Perhaps as you you hear this, you have a dream, an ideal, a plan, a purpose that you would like to accomplish. To hate in the Bible is to reject in Bible language, to repudiate, disavow, disabuse your mind, to reject that which is false. The thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and opinions in your mind are your brethren, which challenge you belittle your dreams and say to you, you can't, it's impossible. 
Remember some of those dreams, ideas, new inventions or plays or plans that you had? Isn't there something in your mind sometimes says to you, who do you think you are? You can't do that. You, you don't know enough. You haven't the right contacts and so forth. <clears throat> well, you have. The right contact is the God presence within you, which gave you the idea. And the same God presence can bring you the past in divine order through divine love. Perhaps other thoughts come into your mind which scoff at your plan or ambition. You discover there's a quarrel in your mind with your own brethren. Opposition sets in. The way to handle the opposition in your mind is to detach your attention from sense evidence and appearance of things and begin to think clearly and with interest about your goal or objective. When your mind is engaged on your goal or objective, you're using the creative law of your mind, and it will come to pass. Lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Lift your ideal or desire up in consciousness. Exalt it. Commit yourself wholeheartedly to it. Praise it. Give your attention, love, and devotion to your ideal. And as you continue to do this, all the fearful thoughts will make obeisance to your exalted state of mind. They will lose their power and disappear from the mind. Through your faculty to imagine the end result, you have control over any circumstance or condition. If you wish to bring about the realization of any wish, desire, idea, or plan, form a mental picture of fulfillment in your mind. Constantly imagine the reality of your desire. In this way, you will actually compel it into being. What you imagine as true already exists in the next dimension of mind. If you remain faithful to your ideal, it will one day objectify itself. The master architect within you will project on the screen of visibility what you impress in your mind. An actor told me one time that at the beginning of his career he was mediocre. Oh, he had small parts. But he learned the powers of his subconscious mind. Every night he played the role of what he wanted to be in his imagination. He practiced it over and over again for 15 minutes every night, exalting the power of the spirit within him. He created a pattern in his subconscious mind, and the nature of his subconscious being uh, compulsive. He reached the heights in his profession. Fifteen minutes every night, regularly and systematically, he ran that movie in his mind. He was the Imagineer, yes, and he was seeing a premiere created in his own mind. He knew the power of the Almighty would back him up. It came to pass. I go before you to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am there you will be also. That's, of course, in your Bible. It's telling you the power of disciplined imagination. Your imagination goes before you. It precedes your experience and manifestation. A young actress who, very, who was very successful told me that every night she runs a mental movie of herself dramatizing a certain role. She keeps running it and experiencing it and her imagination over and over again for five or six minutes every night. She places a foundation under her dreams. All right to build castles in the air, but be sure you put a foundation under them. And that movie that she runs has paid dividends. Uh, Robbie uh, Wright, <clears throat> who handles my... Uh, radio programs, operates the machine for me. He recently won a prize in a dragster race. He said that he psyched himself up before the race. He imagined his brother congratulating him. He imagined himself winning and receiving congratulations from his friends. He felt a supreme power controlling him in the race. Something came over him, that supernormal power responded to the image in his mind, a victory, of triumph, of winning. The man who constantly fails has an image of failure. Oh, yes, you can use your imagination two ways. Of course, you can use any faculty two ways. The man who is chronically ill and always complaining, or the malinger in the army, is the man who has the image of ill health and weakness. Whenever man imagines illness or failure... <clears throat> His subconscious creates accordingly. 
it has been discovered that many men who constantly fail, that they have an image of failure in their mind, and the subconscious responds accordingly. Have an image of success. You're born to win to succeed. Every alcoholic knows that if he uses willpower or tries to force himself to give up alcohol, it drives him further to drink. Mental coercion, force, willpower won't get you anywhere. But when he contemplates sobriety and peace of mind and imagines himself free and back at work doing what he loves to do, knowing that an almighty power is backing up his mental picture, he frees himself of the habit and he is healed. Walt Whitman had a marvelous imagination. He said, when the mist filled the valleys, he looked upon the mountaintops. And when the mountain in darkness disappeared, he fixed his gaze upon the stars. Imagination can carry you to tremendous heights or carry you to the lowest depths. Go beyond the mist and fog of doubt and fear and anxiety and get a vision of spiritual realities. A vision is what you're looking at, what you're gazing at, what you're focused upon, what you're giving attention to. That's where you're going to go in life. If you look at the top of the mountain and said, I'm going to go there, but if you, you will. But if you say, oh, I'm old, I might get blisters, it's tiresome, you won't go to the top of the mountain. But you'll go to the top of the mountain if that's where your vision is. Uh, you realize also benevolent forces in the invisible presence within you will aid you and assist you in the realization of your dream. In your journey through life, However difficult it may be, remember there's a holy place within you, the sanctuary of God, where you can feel your kinship with the one who forever is, the one alone who lives in the hearts of all men. Through the power of your imagination, you can release the flower of love and beauty from your heart. Yes, all the great paintings and statues are products of inspired imagination, as you know. Your imagination pictures the ideal, and it is the ideal, ideals which lead mankind onward, upward, and Godward. Where is the beautiful Madonna depicted on the uh, screen of space or on the canvas? Doesn't it exist in the mind of the disciplined artist? In the golden age of Greece, that's old, 2,600 years ago or more, the uh, Grecians used the law of mind and imagination. Yes, they knew the power of discipline, control, directed imagination, the workshop of the infinite. And mothers who were pregnant, what did they do about it? They surrounded them with beautiful pictures and statuary in order that the inborn children might receive from each mother's mind pictures of health, beauty, symmetry, order, and proportion. Because the mothers would gaze on these beautiful statues and all that, and the child would be born in the image and the likeness of beauty and order and symmetry and proportion. Simple, isn't it? Of course it's simple. All the great truths of life are simple. Then there's the old fable, yes, like the parables in your Bible, they have the stories lost in antiquity. You've heard it before, I'm sure. It's about the Persian prince who was had a crooked back, who couldn't stand up straight, and he engaged a skillful sculptor requesting him to make a statue of himself. True to his likeness in all ways, but he said, I want you to make the statue so that my back is straight, straighter than arrow. I wish to see myself as I ought to be and as God wants me to be. Well, uh, the um, sculptor completed it, placed, he said, now place it in a secret corner in the gardens. And uh, the sculptor did. And every day, regularly and systematically, two or three times a day, he would come out and meditate on that statue, look upon it longingly with faith and with confidence that someday his back would be straight like that statue. 
He paid attention to the straight back. Yes, and the uplifted head and the beautiful brow. Weeks went by, months, yes, and a few years went by. But the people began to say, Oh, the prince's back is no longer crooked. He stands up straight like a nobleman. Yes, and the prince went out, the fable says, into the garden. Behold, it was true. His back was as straight as the statue. Oh, yes, uh, beautiful, yes, he's looking at it. You're gazing at it, his vision is straight back. Well, aren't cripples healed that way? Of course they are. And uh, wonders begin to happen, as you imagine in a while, what you long to be, and play the role over and over again. You'll become that. A man knows that in order to receive, he must first conceive, or picture his desire, uh, picture the reality of it. I told a young man one time, so some years ago now, it was during the war, in the army, I said, well, picture yourself as a doctor. See the end. You have a diploma for you, from your particular state telling you that you're now a physician and surgeon. Look at it. He had pre-med and all that, and he was complaining about the fact that he was drafted and he couldn't be a doctor, you know, and all this sort of thing. I said, picture the end. Wake up. Use the laws of your mind. And I explained to him in five minutes the laws of his mind. Well, being a medical student, having pre-med, he was brilliant. He understood. He had a mind. And he began to do that. And the army sent him to medical college. And today he's a doctor. He saw the end. Having seen the end, you will the means for the realization of the end. You know, archaeologists, paleontologists, and others tell us who delve into antiquity that prehistoric man, he carved pictures on the caves of the food that he wanted, the game, or the fish, or the fowl, or the elephant, or the animal that he wanted, you know. And why did he do that? We knew instinctively or intuitively that some power would bring these fish or these animals into his life so he could eat that which he pictured in his mind. Primitive, yes, but you see, he knew the laws of mind, and invariably these things happened. The particular animal would come so he could eat. So they, uh, these are the powers of imagination there within you. And I would like to tell you something I read the other night. It was by Dr. Carl Simonton, S-I-M-O-N-T-O-N. It's in Fate magazine. It's a marvelous article, by the way. Fascinating. It's a long article. I'm just going to give you a few highlights of it. December issue of Fate, of Fate And he's a medical doctor. He's a cancer specialist. And he says, with the aid of relaxation, meditation, even patients considered terminally ill of cancer have recovered if they really wanted to get well. Uh, that's a, a wonderful article. He says, the role of mind in cancer therapy. Now, this is what he says. I'm giving you some highlights of it because it deals with imagination. He said, I started this process, he's talking now about the mind, with my first patient. In addition to medical treatment, I explained what my thinking was. I told this patient through mutual imagery. We were going to attempt to affect the disease, cancer. He was 61 years old, with very extensive throat cancer. He had lost a great deal of weight, could barely swallow his own saliva and could eat no food. After explaining his disease and the way radiation worked, I had him relax three times a day. Mentally picture his disease, that is, you know, if I show you a picture of a perfect throat, and I'm a medical doctor, and all the cells are in order and everything else, and you're going to picture that in your mind again and again, realizing that there is a defense mechanism within you as restoring your throat to that perfect pattern. All right. He said, after explaining the disease and the way radiation worked, I had him relax three times a day, mentally picturing the condition, uh, his treatment, and the way his body was interacting with the treatment and the disease, so that he could better understand his disease and cooperate with what was going on. The results were truly amazing. Now, he saw, talks about mutual imagery, meaning the doctor is seeing a perfect throat, and he's teaching him how to see a perfect throat. 
and realized the power is responding. He said, when I explained to my colleagues what I was doing, they said to me jokingly, why do you even bother to turn on the machine? My response was, I just don't know enough yet. That patient is now a year and a half post-treatment with no evidence of cancer in his throat. He also had arthritis, and he used the same basic mental process and eliminated that. In other words, picturing yourself as whole, doing what you would do ordinarily, what would you do if you were healed? You say, well, I'd ride horseback, I'd swim and all that. This same man also had trouble with impotence. He had been uh, impotent for over 20 years, couldn't have a relationship with his wife. It took him 10 days of relaxing and mentally picturing the solution in his mind's eye. I'm sure you've heard that many times on this broadcast, on also on my many tapes and my daily broadcast. Picturing the solution in his mind's eye, he was able to resume intercourse with his wife. Now, this is Dr. Simonton talking, and I'm reading from his article. He now states he's able to have intercourse two or three times a week. So when he called me and told me about resolving his impotence, I had him explain how he did it, just in case I should need the techniques later on in my own life. Now, he also says, talks about... He's a, he was the doctor of Travers, Travis Air Force Base. And he speaks of the first case he was drafted in the Army. The first, uh, the Air Force, rather. The first case, he said, is that of an Air Force navigator. He was a non-smoker who had a squamous carcinoma in the roof of his mouth and also one that was larger in the back of his throat. The cancer in the roof of his mouth should have had a cure rate of 20 and 30 to 50 percent. The one in his throat, about 5 to 40 percent. Collectively, however, the estimated cure rate would probably be about right 5 to 10 percent, since it definitely worsens the situation to have two cancers arising at the same time. He says, and I'm quoting, I should emphasize that he was an extremely positive patient. He was also very cooperative, and after one week of treatment, the tumor was beginning to shrink. After four weeks of treatment, the ulceration had no growth evidence of tumor, and so it was doing essentially the same thing, showing a very dramatic response. It was generally outside my experience to get such dramatic response in two separate tumors in such a short time. After one month, there was one small ulceration, healing nicely, and about ten weeks after treatment, the roof of his mouth was essentially normal in appearance. The truly beautiful thing was that the lesion in the throat showed the same response as the one in the mouth, and on routine examination, it was impossible to tell where the true throat tumor had been. Only three months after he had been taken off flying status, this man had unanimous clearance from the head and neck tumor to go back on flying status and resume his profession. So he goes on and on, and Hodgkin's disease and so forth, on the remarkable results he gets with teaching people how to use their imagination in the role of mind in cancer therapy. Dr. Carl Simonton. I understand he's lectured for the science of mind. It's an interesting article with the aid of relaxation, meditation. Even patients considered terminally ill of cancer have recovered. But they, he said, brings out they must want to get well. You know, some people don't. Some people, as you know, want to be sick. Well, that's very interesting, and I thought I'd pass that on, showing you the power of imagination. There are, of course, people who misuse their imagination. There's the businessman who's successful, prospering, and he imagines empty shelves and bankruptcy and the poor house and all this sort of thing. If he keeps that up, of course, he'll go broke. But he's prospering. The thing he is imagining doesn't exist at all. But he's running a movie of bankruptcy and empty shelves and no customer and... Uh, all that sort of thing, if you run the movie like that in your mind, it's going to come to pass, you know. Uh, <clears throat> Joseph, we're told, imagination wears a coat of many colors. Yes, it does. Surely you can imagine sickness, you can imagine failure, you can misuse any power. Uh, 
but it's uh, foolishness to do so. A coat in the Bible is a psychological, psychological covering. You can wear the coat of fear or faith or confidence or love or goodwill. You can wear a wonderful coat, can't you? You wear a garment, physically speaking. If you're swimming, you may wear one, I suppose, if you go and see the president. If you're admitted into the uh, queen uh, to, to, for an audience, so naturally you wear certain clothes also. At the banquet, an opera, and so forth. Well, now we're talking about mental garments. These are attitudes of mind, moods, and feelings you entertain. The coat of many colors represent the many facets of the diamond. Your capacity to clothe any idea in, in form. You can imagine anything. You can imagine what is lovely and of good report. Of course you can. You can imagine your friend who's poor, living in the lap of luxury. You can see his face light up with joy, see his expression change, and a broad smile cross his lips. You can hear him tell you what you want to hear. You can see him exactly as you wish to see him. That is, he's radiant, happy, prosperous, and successful. Your imagination is the coat of many colors. It can clothe and objectify any idea or desire. You can imagine abundance where lack is, peace where discord is, and health where sickness is. And the Bible says, His brethren said to him, that said to Joseph, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Imagination is the first faculty of man, the primal faculty, and takes precedence over all the other powers or elements of your mind. You have twelve faculties, our brethren, but your imagination, when disciplined, enables you to collapse time and space and rise above all limitations. When you keep your imagination busy with noble, godlike concepts and ideas, you will find it is the most effective of all faculties in your spiritual ongoing. Out of Egypt, he said, have I called my son? Egypt, of course, is your subjective mind. And also Egypt means misery or lack of limitation. Joseph is commander of Egypt, who tells you that imagination controls the whole conceptive realm. Whatever prison you may be in, you can imagine freedom, can't you? can imagine yourself back with your loved ones, doing what you love to do. So the prison, whether the prison of fear or sickness, lack or limitation of any kind, remember that Joseph is the commander in prison and can deliver you. You can imagine your freedom and continue to do so until it's subjectified. Then after gestation of the darkness, the manifestation comes and your prayer is answered. The man who's hurt in the ball field, sprains an ankle or whatever it might be, or a tendon, goes to the hospital and is rest. Doesn't he imagine himself back in the ball field, kicking the ball again? If he didn't do that, he'd be still be in the hospital. He'd never leave the hospital. He leaves the hospital because he says to himself, I'm only going to be here four or five days or a week, and he's back in the ball field and in his imagination. You know very well that's true. And you know very well if he didn't imagine himself back in the ball field, he'd never leave the hospital. Now, I grant you that there are people who don't want to get well. They um, rejoice in their misery, as they call it. They get attention and all that sort of thing. Well, of course, you should want to get well. For God's intention for you is that you express yourself at the highest level, that you exercise your faculties at the highest degree. Yes, there are a lot of people in this world, friends, do not want the healing. They don't. Uh, yes, they rejoice in their misery. They talk about it. They say, my rheumatism. And they pat their legs gently, you know. Say, my arthritis. And my migraine. And so on. Consider for a moment a disciplined, talented architect. He can build a beautiful, modern 20th century city in his mind, complete with superhighways, swimming pools, aquarium, parks, and so forth. He can construct in his mind the most beautiful palace the eye has ever seen. He can see the building in its entirety, completely erected before he ever gives his plan to the builders. Where was the building? It was in his imagination. And I explained to you that to imagine 
is to conceive. Whatever you can conceive, you can give it conception. Is to, it is to impregnate your subconscious mind with the picture, the idea, the ideal. And the invisible things of him from the foundation of the earth are clearly visible. Yes, so that soul, what the ancient said, can see invisible things in your mind. Where is the invention? Where is the new play? Where is that um, secret invention of yours now? Isn't it in your mind? It is real. It has form, shape, and substance, another dimension of mind. Believe you have it now, and you shall receive it. With your imagination, you can actually hear the invisible voice of your mother, even though she lives 10,000 miles from here. Mentally, spiritually, she's right in front of you. And she's telling you what you long to hear, because after all, we're all mental and spiritual beings. Of course she's there. And she's telling you what you long to hear. What is it you long to hear? She's telling you about the miracle of God that's happened in her life, how she's vital and alive, bubbling over with enthusiasm. She's telling you what you long to hear, and you love to hear it. You can also, yes, you can see her clearly, and as vividly as if she were present. This is the wonderful power you possess. Now, you know very well you can do that. You can develop and cultivate this power and become successful and prosperous. Supposing your mother is sick in the hospital. You don't see her in the hospital. You have a knowledge of truth. You're fastening that state on her. That would be a frightful thing to do. It would be an awful stupid thing to do. If you know the laws of mind. You'd realize the healing power of God is flowing through your mother. A divine love is healing her. Divine love is guiding her. And divine love watches over her. And divine love dissolves everything unlike itself. And divine love is guiding the doctors and nurses and all the minister to her. That would be your affirmation. But your affirmation has to agree with your image. You have your image must agree with your affirmation, and your affirmation must agree with your image. And therefore, you don't see her in the hospital. She's right there in front of you. And she's telling you, a um, miracle of God has happened. How wonderful she feels, how she's touched by the Almighty. You touch me. I feel virtue has gone out of me. And that's what you want to see. Then you're really praying. And then you're really understanding the laws of mind. And then you're a good practitioner. But if you affirm one thing and you image another, that's called hypocrisy in the Bible. And you get no results because your image has to agree with your affirmation. Nothing could be simpler than that. Oftentimes I say that 99% of people don't know how to pray. Oh, yes, they're using wonderful prayers, but they're seeing the father, the mother, the son in a jail or in a hospital or sick or something else, you know. Haven't you heard the sales manager say, I have to let John go because his attitude is wrong? Yes, your attitude, change attitude changes everything. And uh, <clears throat> the business world knows the importance of the right attitude. So your mental attitude means your mental reaction to people, circumstances, condition, objects, and space. What is your relationship with your co-workers? Are you friendly with people, with animals, or with the universe in general? Do you think the universe is hostile, the world owes you a living? In short, what's your attitude? So uh, realize that your attitude is that God is guiding you. There's right action in your life, and you radiate love, peace, and goodwill to everyone in the world. And as you change your attitude, you change your entire universe. All phases of your life magically melt in the image and the likeness of your attitude. If you imagine, for example, that the other is mean, dishonest, and jealous, notice the emotion you invoked within yourself. Now reverse the situation. Begin to imagine the same girl or boy is honest, sincere, loving, and kind. Notice the reaction it calls forth in you. Are you not, therefore, master of your attitudes? In reality, the truth of the whole matter is that it is your real concept of God which determines your whole attitude towards life in general. Supposing the teacher says your boy is slow in school or he's retarded or something. He can't learn very well. Let's assume you're the mother. What do you do? Let's assume also that you know the laws of mind and the way of the spirit. 
You sit down in your chair or couch. You relax. You mobilize your attention. You relax first. You relax the body. Relax the body. Of course, your mind becomes quiet. You can say to your toes, your toes are relaxed. My feet are relaxed. My abdominal muscles are relaxed. My heart and lungs are relaxed. My spine is relaxed. My neck is relaxed. My hands and arms are relaxed. My brain is relaxed. My eyes are relaxed. My whole being is completely relaxed from head to foot. When you are relaxed, and your body has to obey you now, when you relax and believe, your prayer is always answered. If you do not relax, you do not get results. Relax and believe. The Almighty Power begins to function at that particular moment. And when you relax your body, you're relaxing your mind, and your mind becomes quiet and still. So you, what would you do with this little boy? You would imagine your son right in front of you. And Jimmy is telling you, Mom, you know, I'm getting all A's. The teacher congratulated me. And you would realize the infinite intelligence is resurrected in the boy. The wisdom of God anoints his intellect. He's happy, joyous, and free. God indwells him, walks and talks in him. And you would see a light in his eye. He's telling you what you long to hear as the mother. He said, "I passed the teacher praised me. I'm doing wonderful in, in my subjects and so forth. And you would run that movie and you'd keep that up. And you would resurrect the wisdom and the intelligence of God within the boy which is dormant. It's there, and the mother can call it forth. Of course she can. What is that? Isn't that discipline and imagination? The boy will tell you objectively what you heard them tell you subjectively in that passive psychic receptive state. Now that's as simple as ABC. We are talking about discipline, controlled, directed imagination. And um, we're talking about the laws of mind. These things work. The modern scientist knows it. Your dominant idea about God is your idea of life, or God is life. If you have the dominant idea or attitude that God is the spiritual power within you, responsive to your thought, and that therefore since your habitual thinking and imagery is constructive and harmonious, this power is guiding and guiding you and prospering you in all your ways. This dominant attitude will cover everything. You will be looking at the world through the positive, affirmative attitude of mind. Your outlook will be positive, and you will have a joyous expectancy of the best. Many people have a gloomy, despondent outlook on life. They're sour, cynical, cantankerous. This is due to the dominant mental attitude which directs their reaction to everything. A person's mood of joy is usually short-lived, who is constantly seeing the blues when something wonderful comes into his experience or that of his family. A young boy of 16 years of age going to high school said to me, I'm getting very poor grades. My memory is failing. I do not know what's the matter. The only thing wrong with him was his attitude. He adopted a new mental attitude by realizing how important his studies were in gaining entrance grades to college in order to become a lawyer. He began to pray scientifically, which is one of the quickest ways to change the mentality. In scientific prayer, we deal with the principle which responds to thought. This young man realized there was a spiritual power within him, and it was the only cause and power. And it was, furthermore, he began to claim that his memory was perfect, that infinite intelligence constantly revealed to him everything he needed to know at all times everywhere. He began to radiate love and goodwill to the teachers and fellow students, which is very, very important. This young man is now enjoying a greater freedom than he had ever known for years. He constantly imagines the teachers. Imagine. He sits still and quiet and imagines the teacher and his mother congratulating him on his marvelous work, his wonderful reports. It is 
imagining the desired results that have followed this change of attitude towards the studies. If you imagine you're successful doing what you love to do and you keep that up regularly, systematically, you don't deny what you affirm, you've got to succeed. You must succeed because the law of mind backs you up. Uh, we have said previously that all our mental attitudes are conditioned by imagination. Oh, we said you can use it two ways. Of course you can. You can use your thought two ways, too. You can use any force of nature two ways. You can use nitric acid to burn the body or paint a Madonna on a window pane. You can use water to drown your child that quenches thirst. There's nothing wrong with water. The wind that blows the ship on the rocks will take it to safety if you learn the laws of navigation. Nothing long with, wrong with the laws of chemistry. They're dependable. You can combine these chemicals in a wonderful way to bless humanity and to heal people from various diseases. Or you can go into the laboratory not knowing the laws of attraction, repulsion, or atomic weights and things of that and blow up the place, you know. You can imagine it's going to be a black day today. Business is going to be very poor. It's raining. No customers will come into your store. They have no money. They can't buy the building. You will experience the results of your negative imagery. You know, I have taught people, uh, some real estate people. I remember one case not so long ago, a few weeks ago, and it was a half a million dollar residence down, not in Los Angeles, but quite a distance from here. She called me on the phone, and she said, uh, you know, people don't have that kind of money today. My father, uh, not my father, but my husband has passed on. My father who bequeathed it, he's passed on too. And she said, I'm a widow, I'm all alone, and I want to sell this place. But people look at it, and they never come back. I said, look, this is what you do, and stop your nonsense. I said, walk through this mansion of yours. And uh, you're showing it to an imaginary buyer. Yes, an imaginary buyer. And uh, you're showing him all the, uh, the whole place, the garage and everything else. And he's saying, I like it. I'm going to take it. And he's giving you a check for it. I said, all this is in your imagination. Yes, you're happy about it. And you're taking the check to the bank. And the banker is saying, congratulations, you've sold your place. I said, all that's in your mind. You're showing him the whole thing, and he's pleased, and he's saying, I'll take it. And I said, you dramatize that in your mind. You're releasing it because you're selling it in your mind. And if you don't sell it in your mind, you'll never sell it. For all transactions take place in the mind. You can't gain or lose except through the mind. Of course you can't. All transactions take place in the mind. That's A, B, C. It's almost impossible for me sometimes to understand the thinking of people, because these things are so simple, so utterly simple, that I say on Sunday mornings, a boy of seven can understand it. And he can. Now, if you can't teach it to a boy of seven in your own home, you don't know it. Because if you know it, you can impart that knowledge to him. Uh, so the infinite, uh, you can't want to sell the home, except there's someone who wants it in the first place, and who has the money to buy it. But if I begin to say to myself, who has a half a million dollars today? It's uh, money is tight, and the the uh, the mortgage and all that, the high mortgage rate and all that. Then you're beaten before you start. But there are people who have millions of dollars. They scatter, we are told, yet they prosper. Some of them don't even put it in the bank. They put it under the cushion somewhere or on the couch or on the mattress or somewhere. But um, they have it. You couldn't want to sell that home except someone wants it. A, B, C. Infinite intelligence knows where that person is. That's number two. And then you do the simple thing. Infinite intelligence attracts to me the buyer who wants this home, who appreciates it, who prospers in it, and who has the money. Then you get rid of all these people who don't have a dime, only they want to see the home. Well, you're not in the sightseeing business. And therefore you decree that only those who have the money 
can come to see the home. Then you're showing it, yes. It's in your imagination. You're showing it to the buyer. He's satisfied. You're showing him everything you would show him, or you should show him, and uh, it's sold. Then that will happen. And that's the quickest way in the world to sell it. One time, Joe Strode was walking the streets of London. He imagined he saw a snake in the street. Fear caused him to become semi-paralyzed. What he saw looked like a snake. You know, there are no snakes in London. But Trort had the same mental and emotional reactions of a twer snake. What are you going to imagine? Well, the Bible tells you, imagine whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest and of a good report. Think on these things or imagine these things. You imagine your daughter telling you what is lovely and of good report, and your son too, don't you? What do you imagine about life? Is it going to be a happy life for you? Or is it going to be a long life of frustration? Choose ye this day whom you will serve. You mold, fashion, and shape your outer world of experience according to the mental images you habitually dwell upon. Imagine conditions and circumstances in life which dignify, elevate, please, and satisfy. Imagine your husband telling you what you long to hear. Yes, sit down quietly and close your eyes and wake up. Rip Van Winkle only slept twenty years. Sit down quietly, immobilize your attention, relax. If you don't relax, your prayer will get will have you'll get no results from your prayer. When you relax and believe, your prayer always works. If you do not relax, you do not believe. Now it's as simple as that. So stop kidding yourself. Relax, let go, and your husband is telling you what you long to hear. He says, I love you, darling. You think you're wonderful. He's telling you what you long to hear. He's telling he's promoted, that he's, um, you know, he's doing what he loves to do. He's telling you what you long to hear, how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how he's promoted, and how life is wonderful for him and how happy he is in his new assignment. He's telling you what you long to hear. Hear it. And continue to hear it. And don't deny what you affirmed. And then he will tell you objectively what you heard him tell you subjectively, because you're asking, you're hearing him, rather, tell you what you well, he should tell you, according to the golden rule and the law of love. Always have him or her tell you what they should tell you, according to the law of love and the golden rule, then you can't be wrong, can you? I receive letters from men and women, different states of the Union. It's almost unbelievable. They say, I, I want this woman to marry me. She pays no attention to me. Will you tell me how to pray and get her? And all that sort of thing. That's not prayer. I write and tell them that's I said, I can't imagine any man in the world wanting a woman who doesn't want him. I said, provided the man is in his right mind. That's what I say to them. If you're a woman, I can't imagine you wanting a man who doesn't want you. To me, that's insanity. Love is a mutual thing. If you're in love, there's a natural law, reciprocal relationship. There's no confusion. It's like the woman who says, Oh, I'm madly in love with John Jones. Well, I said, How does John Jones treat you? What did he say? Did he propose to you? Did he give you a ring? Did he tell you that we're getting married on the 10th of November or something? Oh, no. No, but he uh, smiles at me and he's nice to me, you know. Good heaven. Um, that's why I say so often, Rip Van Winkle only slept 20 years. If you're in love with someone, that person has to be in love with you. It's a law of reciprocal relationship. Love is a state of atonement. We have to love everybody. That is to say, we have to radiate love, peace, and goodwill to them, cordiality, geniality. Wish for them all the blessings of life. And if you don't, you're in trouble. And you're in lots of trouble. So we have to love everybody in that sense. We have to wish for everyone what we wish for ourselves. But you don't try and coerce the other person, trying to force the other person to uh, 
Love you or marry you or something? That's black magic. It boomerangs on yourself. It's crazy. That's the only word for it. Just plain crazy. Now imagine yourself... Uh, if you imagine yourself, or if you imagine life as cold, cruel, hard, bitter, that struggle and pain are inevitable, you're making life miserable for yourself because that's what you're imagining. Imagine yourself on the golf course. You're free, relaxed, full of enthusiasm and energy. Your joy is in overcoming all the difficulties presented by the golf course. The thrill is in surmounting all the obstacles. Now let's take this scene. Imagine yourself going into a funeral parlor. Notice the different emotional response brought forward as you picture yourself in this particular situation. In the funeral chapel, if you know the laws of mind, if you're not living in the dark ages, if you're not mesmerized and hypnotized and brainwashed, you can rejoice in the person's new birthday. You can imagine the loved one surrounded by his or her friends in the midst of indescribable beauty in the next dimension of life. You can imagine God's river of peace flooding the minds and hearts of all those present. You can actually ascend the heavens of your own mind, wherever you are. That's the power of imagination. You can lift them all up, can't you? Because it's a new birthday in God. In the modern funeral today, there's nobody. The daughter of the son says, Would you uh, have a memorial service for my father, mother, where we all of us gather together and we'll have a meditation, rejoicing in his new birthday and gone? That's common sense. And uh, beautiful to see people awakening to these truths today. There's no one buried any place, you know. And if you think someone is buried somewhere, you're identifying with cessation, finality, and limitation. You're building a cemetery in your own mind. And you know the frightful negative results from that, don't you? Joseph dreamed another dream and told his brethren, said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun and moon, the eleven stars made obeisance to me. In ancient symbology, the sun and the moon represent the conscious and subconscious mind. The eleven stars represent the eleven powers in addition to imagination. Because you have twelve powers. The twelve disciples are within you. They're not men. Here again, the inspired writers are telling you the disciplined imagination takes precedence over all other faculties of the mind and controls the direction of the conscious and subconscious mind. Imagination is first and foremost. It can be scientifically directed. A teacher, relative of mine, was examining the round towers of Ireland. He, uh, I was with him. He said nothing for an hour. He remained passive and receptive, seeming to be in a pensive mood. I asked him what he was meditating on. This is what he said. He pointed out that it is only by dwelling on the great, wonderful ideas of the world that we grow and expand. He contemplated the age of the stones in the tower. Then his imagination took him back to the quarries where stones were first formed. His imagination unclothed the stones. He saw with the interior eye the structure of the geological formation, the composition of the stone, and reduced it to the formless state. Finally, he imagined the oneness of the stones with all stones and with all life and with the whole world. For there's only one substance, you know. He realized in his divine imagery that it was possible to reconstruct the history of the Irish race from looking at the round tower. That's absolutely true. It can. It can be done. For there's only one substance, one law, one life, one truth. And in the stone and the round tower is the memory of the race. Why? It's subjective. It's not hard and solid. It's alive. A stone is alive, you know. There's no dead, nothing, nothing dead in this universe. That stone that you call inanimate matter, that's absurd. That stone is alive. Through the imaginative faculty, this teacher was able to see the invisible men living in the round towers and hear their voices. The whole place became alive to him in his imagination. Through this power, he was able to go back in time when there was no round tower there. In his mind, he began to weave a drama of the place from which stones originated, who brought them, 
the purpose of the structure, and the history connected with it. As he said to me, I am able to almost feel the touch and hear the sound of steps that vanished thousands of years ago. Where does that novel come from? Where does the poetry come from? Where does the story of man come from? The subjective mind permeates all things. It is in all things, and is the substance from which they are made. The treasure house of eternity is in the very stones comprising a building. There is nothing inanimate. All is life in its varied manifestations. The sun and moon made obeisance to Joseph, which is discipline and imagination, to add to, to multiply. Truly, through your faculty of imagination, you can imagine the invisible secrets of nature revealed to you. You will find that you can plumb the very depths of consciousness, calling things that be not as though they were, and the unseen become seen. Uh, it is really out of the imaginative mind of man all religions are born. Is it not out of the realm of imagination, television, radio, radar, super jets, and all modern inventions came? Your imagination of the treasure house of infinity, which releases to you all the precious jewels of music, art, poetry, and inventions. You can look at some ancient ruin, an old temple or pyramid, reconstruct the records of the dead past. In the ruins of old churchyard, you can also see a modern city resurrected in all its beauty and glory. You may be in a prison of want, lacquer behind stone bars, but in your imagination you can find an undreamed-of measure of freedom. I can now see Shakespeare listening to the old stories, fables, and myths of the day. I can also imagine him sitting down, listing all these characters in the play in his mind, then clothing them one by one with hair, skin, muscle, bone, animating them and making them so much alive that we think we're reading about ourselves. So Shakespeare's stories are stories about you, like the parables in the Bible. They're all the characters that are within yourself, and all the characters of Shakespeare are within you. Use your imagination go about your father's business. Your father's business is let your wisdom, skill, knowledge, and ability come forth. And bless others as well as yourself. You're about your father's business if you're operating a small store, and in your imagination you feel you're operating a larger store, giving a greater measure of service to your fellow creatures. If you're a writer of short stories, you can be about your father's business. Create a story in your mind which teaches something about the golden rule and the law of love, for faith worketh by love. And you can have the faith that moves mountains, but if, except you have love, you won't get very far. And love is goodwill, it's cordiality, geniality. It's goodwill to all men, wishing for them all the blessings of life. Pass the story that you're writing and its characters through your spiritualized and highly artistic mentality. Your article will be fascinating and instantly, intensely interesting to your public. Yes, the wonderful powers of imagination are within you. It'd be a wonderful ideal of all of us from time to time. Would recast our ideas, check in our beliefs and opinions. Ask yourself, why do I believe this? Where did that opinion come from? Perhaps many ideas, theories, beliefs and opinions which you hold are erroneous were accepted by you as true without any investigation whatever as to their truth or accuracy. So, uh, archaeologists, paleontologists studying the tombs of ancient Egypt through the imaginative perception, through their imaginative perception, reconstruct ancient ruins. Of course they do. The dead past becomes alive and audible once more. Looking at the ancient ruins and hieroglyphics around, the scientist tells of an age when there was no language. Communication was done by grunts, groans, and signs, because there was a time when man did not speak. The scientist's, imagina scientist's imagination enables them to clothe the ancient temple with roofs and surround them with gardens, pools, and fountains. 
The fossil remains are clothed with eyes, sinews, muscles, and they again walk and talk. The past becomes the living present. We find in imagination there is no time or space. Through your imaginative faculty, you can be a companion of the most inspired writers of all ages. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Behold, I, the infinite, make all things new. That wraps up another episode of New Thought Academy. Stay tuned for more books, discussions, and updates on coming attractions. 